Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 57. We were just reading about David. Now here is a psalm, uh, psalm of David. It says, For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a Mitcom, a Mictam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Before we read that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we ask that you would help us to keep you always before us. That you would be what we desire more than anything. That you would be uh, what we see first before anything else. That yours would be the way that we would follow through everything. Lord, we ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning, God, that you would give us understanding. God, that you would give us hearts that are changed by your word and by your spirit. That you would be continuing the work that you have begun in our lives of making us more and more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 57, when uh, David's in a pretty bad spot, he says, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Then turning to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. A section in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching against hypocrisy, but in this particular section, teaching also about prayer. This can be found on page 787 in our pew Bibles, or 1508 in the large print. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then turning to our sermon text, James 5, 13 through 20, which can be found on page 980, and our pew Bibles are 1884 in, uh, in the large print. Back to my questions here. I'm going to read this passage first before introducing it, and then we'll talk. James writes at the conclusion of his letter Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we read that passage, and actually as I, you know, you may have had several thoughts come into your mind, maybe some questions. Um, in studying this passage, in preparation for today, I have noticed a couple things. It seems that everybody that I uh, either have read or listened to about this particular passage seems to come at it from one of two, uh, they get there one of two ways. But one is they sort of grab this passage away from the whole rest of the Bible and look at it just by itself without any reference, almost ignoring the rest of the Bible. And they take this and they build their whole theology, their whole understanding of who God is and how he works and how we are to live in this world based just on this passage having nothing to do with the rest of the Bible. So that's one. Um, The other is people who either were writing through commenting on the whole book of James or preaching through the whole book of James and then they get to this passage and they go, huh, well, what do we do with this? And those are pretty much the options. There's the people who get really excited about this passage, so much so that they ignore everything else, or who come to this passage and go, okay, this is going to be tricky. Full disclosure, I'm in the latter camp. Bless you. We are in this passage because this passage is in the Bible. And we get here because we've gone through the rest, of, uh, the rest of James, and that's how we get here. That being said, this is a very important passage. In fact, it's one of those where it touches on not only all of life, but it touches on all people, especially in this, ish, this area of illness. And unless you are somebody who has never, ever, ever, ever been sick, 
and you don't know anyone who's ever been sick, well, if you're one of those, talk to me after. We'll love to know what you know. But as long as you're in the rest of the rest of humanity here, who gets sick and who knows people who get sick, this passage is for us. Now, the reason I say um, I'm in the second camp instead of the first is I'm always a little wary of any theology or any way of understanding all of the Bible through any passage that's not specifically about Jesus. I read a book, uh, or part of a book anyway, uh, called the Bible Story Handbook. Fantastic book by John Walton. And one of the things he says in the introduction there is that basically when telling the stories of the Bible, if you get to the end of the story and you say that, okay, the, the moral of the story, the lesson for this story is that we should be like so-and-so. And that so-and-so, he says, if that's not God or Jesus, we've probably misunderstood the story. <laughs> Helpful to keep in mind. Likewise, um, I think when we build our whole understanding of how it is that we are to live as Christians in a way that doesn't have Jesus at the center of that, we may be off track. And so, uh, so I think the best way to understand this passage is actually in context with the whole rest of the Bible. So that's what we're going to look at today, because like I say, there's some very tricky questions. I have jotted down four of them for us to take a look at. These may be questions that you have. For example, verse 14, when it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. So first of all, why are we calling the elders? Are we calling the elders because God listens to elders more than he listens to other people? What does it mean when it talks about, second question, what does it mean when it talks about the oil? Is this some sort of magical oil that if we put that on in the right way, then we're guaranteed to be healed? Third question. When it says in verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Does that mean that if we pray in the right way and just have enough faith? That God is guaranteeing healing 100% of the time? What about uh, verses 15 and 16 when it says, If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Does that mean that sickness is a direct result of sin? These are some big questions. And I hope you see how these have practical implications as to how we live out our faith in this world as we deal with things like illness. I'm going to give you the short answers first, and then we'll deal, start dealing with the longer answers. The short answers to all of those questions is no. No, 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 and no. But it gets a little trickier when we go through and actually try to explain that. But like I say, first of all, we need to take this in context of the whole Bible, and even in the context of this uh, book itself. So, what is the whole context of the book of James about? I hope for those of us who have been here through the whole book of James, we know at this point that the whole message of the book of James is that if we really believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what, uh, what has been promised throughout the whole the Old Testament, if Jesus is the one who has really uh, died to set us free from sin and to bring us into fellowship with God, who was raised again to life, uh, if that really is who Jesus is, if that's really what he's done for us, if we believe that, we will live differently. That's the message of James. 
And then he goes through and says, and here's how your life will look different as a believer than if you're not really a believer, even if you say you are. And so in this one, he's talking mainly about prayer. That's what this whole passage is about, is prayer. And he starts with this. If anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. So before we even get to illness, let's put it in context. What's James talking about here? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Why does he need to say this? Because for some people, and you probably know people like this if you're not one yourself, for some people, it's really easy to be uh, this happy Christian, praising God, everything's wonderful when everything's wonderful. And as soon as the bottom drops out in your life and something, uh, you find yourself in trouble, it becomes real easy to turn away from God and say, that's not the deal I thought we had. If that's the way things are going to go, I don't want this anymore. And you turn away from God. And James says, wrong response. If we really are believers in Jesus, when we are in trouble, we don't turn away from God, we turn towards him. And we pray to him, and we're talking to him about the trouble that we're in, and we're crying out to him in the midst of our troubles. That's the Christian response. Flip side. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise, because there's another group of people. Maybe you're one of these as well. Who says, I have no problem praying to God when I'm in trouble. In fact, I generally treat God like he's the bail bondsman. You know, like you get yourself into a bit of trouble, you're in jail, and you got to call him up and say, hey, I'm in trouble, you got to come get me. Then he bails me out, and I go, okay, I, I got this now. I'm good, I'm good. Leave me alone, and I'll call you the next time I'm in trouble. Right? And James says, wrong response. <laughs> the Christian response is when we're in trouble, yes, we turn to God, not turn away from him, but also the Christian response when we are happy, when things are going well in our lives, instead of turning away from God and saying, I got this, we praise him in those moments. In other words, in the highs, in the lows, in all the in-betweens, in every situation of life, we have an ongoing conversation of prayer with God. This is what, uh, it's kind of what uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, through Jesus, therefore, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. In other words, if we are those who are saying, yes, we believe in Jesus, what's going to naturally come from that is a constant praising of God for who he is and what he's done for us in all the situations. Or as Paul puts it when he says, uh, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for us in Christ Jesus? That we, you know, clean up our lives, that we go out and do amazing things. Primarily, God's will for us in Christ Jesus is our ongoing communion with God. That ongoing conversation with God through all things. That will lead to other things as well. But this is, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, that we would be in a relationship with God. That's what he came for. That's what he came to introduce us to in a way that we hadn't known before. And that's what he came to open the way for in a way that we had not had access before. Um, We saw that all through the book of Hebrews that we went through last year. We see these images of the tabernacle and the temple and those sorts of things. And we say that Jesus, you know, we we don't go to a priest anymore. Because Jesus is our high priest. We don't go, we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus is the sacrifice. And all of these things that were pointing to how it is that we have access to God the Father, it all goes through Jesus. He is open that way, that we would have access to him. And so we do 
in, in everything, in all situations. Anyone in trouble? Pray. Happy? Pray. <laughs> and that's where then we get into this uh, area of, okay, so what about when you're sick? Is that one of those situations where we also should pray? And interestingly enough, the response here, it does not say to pray. You notice that? It's weird. That actually catches you off guard. Because you're thinking, this is the third in the series. And so it's, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Pray about that. But if you've got your Bibles in front of you, you see it doesn't say that. Does it mean we're not supposed to pray? Of course we are to pray. But what it tells us there is that actually there's something else going on. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It says, in a case of illness, we should actually be calling on each other. We should be calling other Christians to pray for us. There may be several reasons for this. One uh, is just a matter of how you feel when you're sick. We've all been there. Where you have had an illness where you don't feel like yourself. You don't feel like you can think straight. You don't feel like you can communicate clearly. And you may even feel like you can't pray like you used to. Where you feel somehow cut off from God. And so you say, even if I want to pray, I just don't feel like I can. And so that's why I think uh, James does not say, when you're sick, you need to pray. Because when you're sick, that conversation needs to be going on. But when you're weak, you need to surround yourself with others who are strong. You need to surround yourself with others who can pray with you and for you as you pray through the situation together. So why elders? Is this, and this, again, this is one of our original questions, is it because elders have some sort of special access to God that others don't have? This is an unfortunate, unfortunately common um, misconception. In fact, as a pastor, it's one I hear quite a bit is... Um, Oh, as a pastor, you, you know, you've got a direct line. And just a couple weeks ago, I heard this from someone who said it to me in reference to you know, praying about the weather. And they said, it was just kind of casual conversation and talking about the weather. And they said, oh, you need to pray for rain, pastor, because you've got a direct line. My usual response to that is, ah. <laughs> but this time, for some reason, something else came out which may have, you know, may have been a little more sarcastic than I intended, but I still think it's true. <laughs> it said, you've got a direct line. And I looked at them and I said, yes, and thanks to Jesus, we all do. And that's the situation. Pastors, elders, everyone through Jesus has a direct line. No one has any closer access than anyone else. It's all the same. It's all through Jesus. So why then does he say, call the elders? I don't know. You may, we may differ on this one. Here's what I think. I think there are a couple good reasons to call the elders. And this, by the way, is not, he's not referring to those who have been specifically ordained to the office of elder in the church, but those who are further along in the faith, those who have matured in Christ. It says, call these people to pray for you. And I think one practical reason is because they may be more likely to say, okay. 
You have a brand new believer who's just learning how to pray at the very beginning of what it means to know, to know God through Jesus. And you go to them and you say, I'm going through a really hard time. Can you come pray with me? They might go, I don't know about that. But somebody who has been having this ongoing conversation of prayer with God, and they're growing in that, and they have this relationship with God who is maturing in their faith, and you say to them, I'm going through a hard time. I'm dealing with this illness or whatever. Would you pray with me? They're much more likely to say, I'd love to. I think that's one of the reasons why it says call the elders. But there's another sense in which the elders are those who have, are more likely to, to have gone through something similar as Christians before. In other words, as a brand new Christian, you may not know what it's like to be sick as a Christian. You may not have faced that before. As somebody who is mature in the faith, you've either been through it yourself or you've seen others go through it at that point. And so you're able to minister with compassion and help people understand what's really going on as you're praying for them in the situation. I think that's the issue, is you want to call on those who are mature in their faith because when you're weak, you want to turn to those who are stronger in their faith in the moment. And so turning to somebody else who's a, you know, turning to a baby Christian in that moment, that may not get you any farther along than where you were before. Um, so yeah, not special access to God, but someone who's further along or who is along in the faith. And then uh, the second question, what's with the oil? And I will just tell you right now, we raised four questions at the beginning of this. We're going to deal with two of them today. Two of them we're going to look at next week. And, uh, and you'll thank me for that. Or we wouldn't be out of here until 1.30. Uh, but the second one is the oil. What is with the oil? Because it says... Uh, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make this person well. So does this mean that the oil is somehow magical? That if we pray for people and we're not using oil, that they're not going to get better. But if we use the oil, then they are going to get better. So we've got to find this oil and we've got to use this oil. There's some magical oil. No. Short answer, no. However, this is uh, one of those areas where... There's disagreement among the scholars who have looked at this passage as to what this means and how we're to apply it. I'll just tell you that up front. So if we disagree on this one, that's okay. We will hold to what is clear throughout the Bible. Um, And if we differ on other things, that's all right. But here's what I take this to mean. I don't think that James is saying, if we use these kind of magical substances, if we apply them in the right way, then we are somehow making God do what we want. And I think that's pretty clear throughout the Bible. We don't make God do anything. Because if we make God do something, then we have the question, who is God in the relationship, right? But, what I think it, what it is talking about here is oil as, uh, as a medicine, 
which is how it was used back then. We see examples of that biblically. We see examples of that actually in the times of the, of the writing of this, not in the Bible, but of people using oils as, uh, as medicine. And so what I think James is actually saying here is something a bit more practical, where he's saying, pray and use the medicines of the day. It's not either or. It's not, uh, you know, pray, and because you've prayed, now you don't need to go to the hospital. You don't need to take your medicines. You don't, you've prayed, and that's all you need. There's a story along these lines, um, not a real story, but one where there was a guy in a flood, and the floodwaters are coming up, and he's there in his... Uh, in his driveway, and it's, it's getting pretty deep. He's not sure what he's going to do, and so he prays, God, you've got to rescue me from this flood. And a little while later, a jeep drives up. And the guy says, hey, you need, uh, you need to get out of here? And the guy says, no, no, I'm good. I've prayed. God is going to save me. I believe. And so the guy, all right. He drives off, and a while later, the flood's getting a little higher, and now he has to climb up on the roof of his house. But then a boat comes by, a guy in a canoe, and he canoes by the guy's house, and he says, hey, come on. He says, no, 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 I'm good. I've already prayed. God is going to save me, and so I don't, need, I don't need to get in the boat. The boat sails on, paddles on, whatever. He continues to pray, and shortly after that, there's the, now the water is even up to the top of the roof, and a helicopter flies by, and they've got a ladder they drop down, and they use the bullhorn, and they're saying, grab on the ladder, we'll take you to safety. He yells back at him, no, no, go on, go on. God's going to save me. I pray to have faith. The flood gets a little higher, and the man drowns. And then he is in heaven, and he's in the presence of God, and he says to God, I prayed. Why didn't you save me? And God says, why didn't I save you? I sent you a jeep and a boat and a helicopter. Why didn't, you t- why didn't you get on? And I think that's sometimes how we view uh, prayer versus medicine, as though those are uh, against each other. And I think sometimes when we say, I pray, therefore I don't need to take the medicine, I think sometimes God is looking at us saying, what do you think I sent you the medicine for? <laughs> On the other hand, when we just take the medicine and we trust completely in that and say, well, I've got, I've got good doctors, I've got good medicine, therefore I don't need to pray about this, then we've got another issue as well. Remember, all of life, all of life is to be this constant conversation of prayer. Sometimes we may pray for healing, and God may choose to heal us in a way where the doctors around us say, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. The, what you had, what the tests showed, what the x-ray had on there, and what you're going through now, the medicine that we gave you would not have done that. So I don't know what, what happened. God may choose to heal apart from medicine. And when he does that, we should praise God. And we should thank him for the healing. When sometimes he heals through the medicine, through the doctors. And we get better and they say, yes, of course, this is just what we expected. We don't say, then who needs God? We say, thank you, God, for sending me these doctors. Thank you for the medicines that I was able to take. And so what I think James is saying here is pray. Pray always. But also go get the surgery. Pray, but also take your medicine. Use, uh, use the medical means, but don't forget to pray always. And it's always the prayer that provides the healing. This is, uh, 
I would love to continue at this point. We do not have the time to even uh, dip our toe into the next question, which is quite controversial. So we will <laughs> leave you where Jonathan uh, recommended we start last week of y'all read this passage, think about it for a week, and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. That's where that's really, that's, that's good practice always, I think. Read it and think about it a lot. And not just think about it, but actually pray about it. And so that's where we will, uh, we will leave this particular passage, is what we've seen so far in it. One, prayer is a big deal. In fact, prayer should be the, um, the ongoing kind of atmosphere of our lives as believers. That prayer should be our response, our first response in every situation. And by the way, if you take a look at the Psalms, this is what they show you, <laughs> what they show us again and again. You read through the Psalms, 150 Psalms, and they're not all happy, 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 everything's wonderful, God is great. There are some of those. But there are also some that are help, 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 but they're not all of those either. And in fact, the one we read today, we have David in a very difficult situation, and he, Psalm 57, and there are parts of that psalm where he's praying, help, 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 and part where he's saying, God is great, he's wonderful, everything's great. In the same psalm. And what we see is this model of praying to God in every circumstance of life. And that's the first thing that we see uh, in James here is that whatever we're going through, our first response should be prayer. If you get nothing else from this passage from today, maybe that, that we would have a constant life of prayer as a response, first and foremost, to everything that we're going through. Secondly, though, that we can do this because uh, we have access to God through Jesus. We don't have to go through the pastor. We don't have to go through the elders. We can actually pray to God through Jesus, whoever we are, wherever we are. That's what Jesus has done for us. And thirdly, that, uh, that there are times where we still need to you know, use what God has given us beyond just praying, but actually still engaging in the life of this world, going to the doctors, going, taking the medicine, etc. That he has provided not only spiritual means for healing, but also physical means. And so we use what God has given, and we praise him for all of it. So, how do we conclude a, uh, a sermon on prayer? We pray together. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for all that you have made. We thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for the... The blessings that we have uh, recognized, and we thank you for those that have gone unrecognized. We pray that you would help us to see you first and foremost in all things. That we would see you as uh, the one who is more important than anything else. The one who is more valuable than anything else. The one who is more powerful than anything else. And God, we thank you um, and praise you for the love that you have for us. God, that as we go through um, times of trouble, as we go through times of illness, 
God, that you don't stand off at a distance, but that you are one who has come close, who has joined in the um, joined into the world full of sin and sickness and death, so that you can walk walk through the situations with us. God, we pray that you would help us to continue to mature in our faith. That you would help us to be those who are quick to say yes, to pray for those in need. God, we pray pray that you would help us to be quick to ask for prayer from those who are mature in the faith. That we would find ourselves in need. Uh, We wouldn't just Try to tough it out. Or try to get through it on our own. But God, that we would recognize you have not just called us as individuals, but you have called us as a community. Or that we are here for each other. Help us to have the humility to call on each other and ask for prayer. And like I said earlier, that where we ask that uh, when we are called upon, you'd help us to be those who are quick to say yes. Who consider it an honor and a privilege to pray for those in need. And Lord, we ask that you would give us um, give us patience with uh, with this particular topic and with especially topic of uh, what does this mean for unanswered prayers. We ask for something and it doesn't seem to happen the way that we expect. Or give us wisdom in this area. Lord, through everything, we pray in, um, we pray in Jesus' name that we would continue to know more of who you are and the relationship that you desire to have with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.